0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. On September 15th, 2013, after finishing my second Sunday at my new job as a religious education assistant here at Arlington Street Church, I chose to do something that would end up being somewhat of a habit. I decided to stay a little bit longer. Although that September also marked the beginning of my academic work at Harvard Divinity School, and I definitely had more homework to do, I knew what was happening in Boston was more important. On that particular Sunday, the activist and Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh was leading a meditation for peace in Copley Square in response to the Boston Marathon bombing that had occurred six months earlier. I joined Reverend Kim, Laura Avon, and a group of teenagers who are participating in our Our Whole Lives sexual education program in the short walk to Copley Square, where we found a spot to sit among the hundreds of people who had already gathered in front of Trinity Church. As we waited for Thich Han, the teens sitting around me played with their cell phones and giggled, and I remember feeling that the sun was very hot and being a little worried that I might get a weird sunburn from the shirt that I was wearing. And then Thich Nhat Hanh came out on the platform, and the voices ceased. Everyone gathered in Copley Square, including the teenagers, sat silently. Among those gathered, no one made a sound louder than a deep inhale and a deep exhale. But it wasn't a silent meditation. The sounds of the city were all around us. Car radios, duck boat tours, high-heeled footsteps, and distant conversations. All around us, Boston was very much alive, and there were plenty of drivers honking their horns to remind us what that sounds like. Occasionally, Thich Nhat Hanh would lean toward the microphone and say, breathing in, I enjoy breathing in. Breathing out. I enjoy breathing out. After about 25 minutes, Thich Han began to say more. The crowd remained silent, eager to hear from this wise soul. What could he tell us that would help heal the fear, pain, and confusion that lingered months after the bombing? With clarity and sincerity, Thich Han said, we must learn to be more present with one another. He described how important it is whether we are sitting with someone we love or calling them on the phone to say, Darling, I am here. Darling, I know you are here. Darling, I know that you suffer, and I am here with you. It was so simple, so sweet, and it was a truth that was so fundamental that my mind wrestled with its innocence, is that really all I have to say? Is the path to healing and peace this simple? In that moment, another thought came to my mind that I didn't know what to do with. This wise teacher, Thich Han, reminded me of a child. I immediately tried to push this from my mind because it must be offensive to compare such a wise man with a child. But then again, was it offensive or was it true? Can someone be childlike and wise? In different corners of our lives, even our UU lives, we are taught that wisdom and age develop together. We hear stories about adventurers searching for old, wise men who live in seclusion. In popular literature and film, wisdom belongs to the Dumbledores, the Gandalfs, and the Obi-Wan Kenobis, all white men with beards and lots of experience. It took my mind half a second to jump through these hoops of societal influence and wonder if comparing Thich Nhat Hanh to a child was offensive. It took me far more time to jump out of those hoops and ground myself in the reality that wisdom is not determined by age or gender or beard length, but by a deep connection to truth. To be wise is to be grounded in the truth of human experience, which may actually grow more difficult with age. Children are constantly making meaning of the world in innovative and beautiful ways. They answer questions that they don't necessarily have an answer to, not because they are afraid of sounding ignorant, but because they find pleasure in playing guests and check with the world around them. My father recently reminded me that when my sister was young, she told him that whenever she was going down the escalator, someone on the other side of the world must be going up the escalator. In her mind, escalators wrapped around the world and the process of moving up one floor was dependent on the presence of another person. This could be written off as foolishness, but I feel like that misses the whole point. We all have heard children say things like this, and when we hear them, we laugh, and we begin to see the world in a new way. Something as mundane as an escalator can become a magical reminder of our interdependence. Do you remember the moment when life suddenly became way more complicated than you ever expected? When it became a struggle to answer questions that had once seemed to have obvious answers. Questions like, how do you feel? Or, what do you want for dinner? And of course, that once exciting, now terrifying question, what do you want to be when you grow up? On that Sunday afternoon, those of us gathered in Copley Square were collectively asking Thich Nhat Hanh the impossibly difficult question, what do we do now? His answer was not an all-appeasing political speech or a carefully crafted dissertation, but instead a reminder that love is the key to healing and peace. And he said it with the same sense of curious confidence that children use when confronted with the unknown. Thich Han is a wise man, and as a wise man, we can assume that his wisdom is not only the words he chooses to say, but also the manner in which he delivers them. Darling, I am here. Darling, I know that you are here. Darling, I know that you suffer, and I am here for you. I cannot claim to know his true intentions, but I believe that with these, with these words, Thich Nhat Hanh is redirecting us all to a truth that is already within us, a truth that perhaps has been with us all along. To be clear, there is wisdom that does grow with age, or rather with experience. Life is hard. We must seek the wisdom of elders to guide us through difficult decisions, through heartbreak, and through the mounting responsibilities of adulthood. But let us not forget that wisdom comes to us in many voices. The fourth principle of Unitarian Universalism states that we believe in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And in that search, we have the freedom to discover our own teachers. And sometimes a child can be the teacher we need. When the child within us gets quieter and quieter, her wisdom canceled out by the clatter of to-do lists and adult anxieties, The children in our families, communities, and neighborhoods are our guides back to those instinctual truths and curiosities we were born with. It's not surprising that we lose our connection to childhood wisdom that lies within us. After all, we are pressured to let go of everything that makes us a child. We are encouraged to work more than we play and to hide our tears. Survival in the world requires us to be fiercely independent and practical instead of imaginative. But to survive, we also need the wonder, enthusiasm, and creativity of a child. We need to value not just the freedom of independence, but the warmth of interdependence. Earlier this summer, I heard a story on the radio show, The Moth, that I felt illustrated childhood wisdom beautifully. And it happened to be told by a Unitarian Universalist minister. Reverend Kate Braystrup serves as the chaplain to the Maine State Warden Service. As their chaplain, Reverend Braystrup accompanies wardens on their toughest cases, many of which are the sudden disappearances and deaths that happen all too often in the Maine woods. In this story, Reverend Braystrup is visiting the devastated family of a four-year-old boy named Andy who died instantly when an all-terrain vehicle rolled over on him. Andy's aunt and uncle approach Reverend Braestrup and tell her that their five-year-old daughter Nina, who is Andy's cousin and best friend, wants to see Andy's body. They want to protect her, but Nina insists that she needs to see Andy. Reverend Braistop told them, You are her parents. You know her. You know what's right for her much better than I do, but I do believe that it would be okay. I believe that it will not hurt her more to see him. Three days later, Reverend Braistop ran into Nina's mom at Andy's memorial service. She asked her, So, what did you do about Nina? Did Nina go see Andy? And Nina's mom said, Let me tell you. We got in the car, drove to the funeral parlor, and as soon as we park, Nina is out of the car, striding across the parking lot. We had to scramble to keep up with her, and she goes to the front door past the funeral parlor guy, and we stopped her at the door of the cool room where Andy's little body lay, and we said, Nina, we want to make sure that you understand that Andy is not going to be able to talk to you. "'Yep,' said Nina. "'Well, and you understand he's not going to be able to move or get up.' "'Yeah,' said Nina. And she opened the door, and she went right in. And she walked right up to the dais where Andy's body lay, covered in a quilt that his mom had made for him. And she walked all around the dais, putting her hands all over him, making sure that he was all there.' And then she put her head down on his chest and began to talk to him. And after about 10 minutes of this, Nina's parents were awash in tears and they had kind of had enough. And so they said, Nina, are you ready to go? And she said, no, I'll tell you when I am. So she sang him a song and she put his Fisher Price plastic telescope in his hand so he could see anyone he wanted to see from heaven. And then she was okay, and she was done. But she said, he's not going to be getting up again, so I have to tuck him in. And she walked all the way around the dais again, tucking in the quilt. And then she put her hand on him and said, I love you, Andy Dandy. Goodbye. For Reverend Braystrup, the message of this story is that we can trust human beings with grief. But for me, when I heard this story, and because of my own experiences working as a hospital chaplain with those who are grieving and dying, and my experiences here working with the children of Arlington Street Church, this story was a reminder that children are wise. Nina did not need to be protected. Nina understood that Andy was gone. And Nina knew how to take care of his body and say goodbye in a way that many of us are spending our lives working to master. We don't know what Nina said to Andy, but she might have said something like, darling, I am here. The search for wisdom is a life-long journey. And I wish for all of us true freedom in that search, freedom that allows us to find our teachers everywhere. And in our search for our teachers, let us not be afraid to look down occasionally because they may be shorter than us. Listen to the children around you and the child within you and see them as the wise sages that they are may we honor all that we have to share that all that they have to share with us and may we continue to create and sustain a world that is worthy of their wisdom thank you for listening to this week's podcast we would love to hear from you via email at office